Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, Today we're going to be continuing with our types of literary criticism. We've already talked about Marxist and psychological, and today we're going to start on feminist criticism. Uh, Feminist criticism, like the others we've discussed, uh, has some elements that are extremely technical and get into linguistics. A lot of the people in the linguistic uh, uh, tradition are French theorists. Uh, They are definitely worth uh, reading and uh, getting to understand, but uh, for us, I'm going to kind of uh, stray away from that a little bit and go to some of the other types of feminist criticism, Uh, some of the stuff that's a little easier to apply when you don't have to be a linguist to be able to do it. Um, I'm going to focus on uh, talking about uh, feminist criticism as it applies to gender. Um, Every type of criticism generally has a lens through which it looks at literature. Uh, Feminist criticism tends to look at it through the lens of gender. Um, There are three main areas that it breaks into, uh, voice, power, and portrayal. Under voice, one of the things a a feminist critic might look at is who has the voice? Um, Who do you hear speaking? Do you hear only male characters, only female characters? Is it equal? Um, Do you hear only the male characters? And then when female characters uh, do speak, they are either not listened to or they uh, are not given lines that are relevant. Um, A lot of this will give you the power dynamics of what's going on between uh, the male and the female characters. Uh, Often in societies, the voices of women have been silenced. Uh, Women were expected not to be the one speaking. And so feminist criticism will look at that, and it will look at it in the literature and then compare it to um, the society which it comes from. Now, when things are written in uh, the literary tradition, it may be written from the perspective of the way society sees things and may be given a positive uh, spin. This is the way we are, and boy, doesn't this seem wonderful. Um, It may be presenting things the way they are and kind of giving you the spin where you realize this is the way things are and this is pretty terrible. Um, You may also have things where it gives you a very different um, perspective from what is actually in the society. So it may be giving you an idealized version, um, you know, sort of almost a utopian version. If things were this way look at how much better they would be. It also may be giving you a dystopian version. Uh, If things were this way, look at how much worse they would be. Um, One of the uh, examples that I can think of off the top of my head that gives you a dystopian view when it comes to voice would be The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, The Handmaid's Tale definitely gives you a society where women have been completely silenced. So these are, that is one of the areas that the feminist critic might look at. <clears throat> the other area is power. What is the power dynamics within the work of literature and within the society at large? You know, who has the power? Is it a patriarchal society where the men have all the power? Is it a matriarchal society where the women have all the power? Or is it a society where the power is shared? And even if it's shared, it could be shared and slanted in one direction or the other. Um, So that is another 
way you can look at it is who has the power. And again, as you're reading the literature, you'll be getting clues from how it's presented that the author or the narrator is saying, this is how it is, and this is wonderful, or this is how it is, and look at how terrible things are. <clears throat> the other uh, area that I talked about is portrayal. Um, now, portrayal has a lot of uh, richness in it when you analyze something through the lens of portrayal by genders. Um, you know, are both of the genders portrayed as real full people, or is one gender portrayed as being uh, full people and the other gender portrayed as simply flat character devices? For example, if you look at the James Bond movies, um, the female characters are definitely presented as flat plot devices. They are not presented as full humans. Um, they are presented as uh, devices that help the male characters um, to get to where they need to be. Um, during the uh, Victorian period, there were generally two types of women in a lot of Victorian novels. There was what was known as the Angel of the House, who was the all-perfect, all-good, all-loving, moral woman whose job was to keep the man, keep the nation, keep you know, the male characters on track and lead them to being better, sort of like a Madonna figure. Madonna is in the mother of Jesus, kind of this uh, completely morally perfect person. Now, the problem with this is that no one is completely a good person. Real people uh, have good traits and bad traits. So this is not a real person. This is simply a character type that is there for the male to, uh, if they follow this example, to become better and to become saved. The other type in the Victorian literature was what's known as the prostitute in the street. This was sort of the Jezebel character. She was there to be the temptress, to lead the man, the nation, uh, the tribe, whatever, astray. Um, and this character is always bad. She has no good qualities. She has no ability to change and become good. This is one of the ways that you know that it's just a character type rather than a realistic character, realistic person. A character type does not have the ability to change. Real people have the ability to change, either for better or for worse. So when you have a lot of these stories um, from the male perspective, the female characters are reduced to types often. Now you also, in more recent literature, will see things uh, kind of mirror-imaged on the opposite side. Stories that are mostly about female characters and the female characters that are the dynamic ones will have these flat male characters that are simply plot devices for the female character. Things like the movie Sleeping with the Enemy with Julia Roberts. You have two male characters that are, the first one is the abusive, controlling monster of a husband, and the second one is the loving, caring, in touch with his feminine side, Mr. Perfect that she meets afterwards, after she leaves her husband. And these two characters do not have the ability to change. The entire 
purpose for these two characters. The first one is to give the female character something she must overcome, and the second one is to kind of be that moral Madonna-type figure um, for her to realize her self-worth. So through the story, she grows, but the monster stays the monster, and the good guy stays the good guy. So you do see this with both male and female characters, depending on which uh, way the story is driven. You will have male-driven stories where the females are only flat characters. You will have female-driven stories where the males are only flat characters. But portrayal gets even deeper than that, <clears throat> because portrayal often can become very uh, destructive, um, the way that characters are portrayed. For example, if you think about movies and television, you know, the female characters, the main characters, are always flawlessly beautiful. They're perfect looking, at least in the dramas and the, uh, the more serious movies. Comedies are a different thing. So what this gives you over and over again for women is that you should be perfect looking if you want to end up happy have perfect face, perfect skin, perfect hair, perfect clothes, because if you do not have these things, you will never end up happy. And one of the things that this does is it completely destroys the self-esteem of many, many women. Leads to eating disorders, leads to low self-esteem, because nobody looks like these women actually in real life. Even these women in real life do not look like they do on the screen. They have makeup experts, wardrobe experts, hair experts, lighting experts, and if all of that fails, they can be digitally altered to look perfect and have body doubles. So it sets up an unrealistic standard for women and causes, as I said, many self-esteem issues. Now the characters for men are equally um, destructive. Uh, male characters in the serious dramas have to always know what to do, they have to be handsome, they have to be tough, they have to be strong, uh, they do not solve problems by rational discussion, problems are solved with fists or knives or swords or guns. Um, it, it sets up this male image that to be weak and to be anything less than uh, perfect looking means you cannot be the hero. Um, this creates a lot of negative consequences for males as well. Uh, males are not supposed to show emotion. They're not supposed to ask for help. They should never be weak. If you have a conflict with someone else, it should be solved with your fists. Um, so this leads to a lot of what's referred, often referred to as toxic masculinity. Now, when you see movies you do often see characters who are more ordinary looking. But these more ordinary looking characters generally tend to be in comedies, which is also a destructive image um, because, you know, plain men and women um, through these images and through this reinforcement are taught that, well, you're not good looking or strong or beautiful or, you know, sexy. You better be funny. Otherwise, you have no place in society. 
So these images of male and female characters that we get in books and movies and television shows um, can often have very disastrous effects on people in real life. Also, as you're looking through these uh, stories, these movies, these books, um, with a feminist perspective, one of the things you will see is how much these um, stereotypes or these idealizing types um, tend to limit what people can do, limit how they can respond to things, uh, and often create more problems within the work of literature but as these things are imitated in society, because society tends to internalize these images, uh, you see that it has a very limiting capacity in the real world as well. Um, next time I want to talk a little bit more about feminist criticism, and I'm actually going to talk a little bit about two novels when I do. Uh, the one is Annie John by Jamaica Kincaid where we have basically a male-dominated society where this takes place, but this is a novel that only gives really the female voices. Um, the other novel we've talked about before uh, in psychological criticism is The Sound and the Fury. In this case, you have a uh, male-dominated society. You have a female character who is actually the one that all of the action revolves around, um, but she's the only one who never gets to tell the story from her perspective. All of the perspectives that tell the story in The Sound and the Fury are male perspectives. So when we get into the next podcast, I will be talking about those uh, two novels, uh, Annie John by Jamaica Kincaid and The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner, and we'll be talking about how uh, gender roles, portrayals, uh, power, how that comes into play in both of those. I hope you are all well and I will talk to you again soon.